Oh, it's good to be with you guys today and to be in God's Word with you. If you would, I'm going to ask you as we continue in our series in the Minor Prophets, and we are in the book of Jonah this morning, in the book of Jonah. So as we've gone through the Minor Prophets, we're getting more familiar with our word as far as being able to find it, I think, right? Because they're tiny, they're small in the the pages, and so they're harder to find. So we did Hosea, we did Joel and Amos. Last week, Stephen did Obadiah, and this week we have Jonah. This week we have Jonah. I'm going to read this morning, just to start our time, I'm going to read from chapter 4. And I'm going to just start there in verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 2. And then I'm going to pray for our time that God would bless it. And then the goal today is to finish the book of Jonah. Um, I started this book at the beginning of the year. If you remember, if you were here at Taylor's, um, I did Jonah chapters 1 and 2. So I was telling someone this morning, I'm finishing my series on Jonah. So I um, had a little break in between. So, um, so now tonight, today we're going to do chapters 3 and 4. So, But just to begin our time, let's begin in chapter 4, and I'll read there. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? And that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Lord, um, as we open your word this morning together in this place, I pray, Father, that God, you would bless our time. Over these next few minutes, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would open our eyes to see wondrous things of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. And, Lord, that you would teach us your ways and that we might walk in your ways pleasing unto you and displaying your glory amongst all peoples. So, Lord, open our eyes, I pray, that we might see you. And I pray this in your name and for your namesake. Amen. Chapter 3 begins with these words. Then the word of the Lord, by the way, I'm just going to walk through the passage. Just, I just wanted to give you a heads up. I'm just, I'm just going to walk through the passage. I feel like I need to warn you about that or something. But I'm just going to walk through the passage. I'll give some commentary. We'll make some application. But I'm just going to walk through the passage. So the beginning in chapter 3, the word says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So just in beginning here, and just by way of reminder, this is the second time that the word of the Lord has come to Jonah. If you're new to Jonah, Jonah is a prophet of God. He's prophesying in the days of Jeroboam II, 
in Israel, the northern kingdom. We're trying to, and each time we're setting these in either the southern kingdom or the northern kingdom, Jonah is in the northern kingdom. He is prophesying during the time of Jeroboam II. That's about 782 to 753 B.C. At that time, Israel and Jeroboam are wicked and evil and idolatrous. But Jonah has been a prophet to Israel and has prophesied good things to Israel, even though they don't deserve them. So that their borders would be extended and God's mercy would be upon them, even though they were undeserving. So Jonah has had some favor in Israel because his prophecies have been good for the people. Everybody loves a good prophet, right? A good prophecy. That's good stuff. And so he's, he's experienced some goodness there in Israel as he has prophesied in the midst of a wicked people, in the midst of an idolatrous people, blessing. One last thing about Jonah before we go on any further is you just need to know his name and what it means. It means dove, which for Israel would have meant silly or senseless. That's exactly what I should have named my child. So, I mean, like, if you're thinking of naming your kid, I think I'm just going to name him Silly. You know what I mean? But the names mean something. And so right off the bat, when we hear his name mean Silly or Senseless, we get this idea that Jonah may not be the best prophet in the bunch, right? We get this little bit of warning. But the other thing is it says that he's the son of Amittai, which means he's the son of my faithfulness. So really quickly, we, we, just by the name, we get this setup that Jonah, in some ways, though he's a prophet of God, may not be the prophet you want to model your life after. And two, we get this picture of God who is faithful, even to a prophet like Jonah. Just right off the bat, word of the Lord came to Jonah. The first time, just to go back and just recap real fast, because our time is Small, short. Recap. Brother Lord came to Jonah first time. The word said, go to Nineveh. Their evil has come up against me or to me, and I want you to call out against them, right? Call out against Nineveh. Real quick, who is Nineveh? Nineveh is a large city in Assyria who are enemies of Israel. In fact, Assyria is known for their wickedness, their idolatry, their immorality, and their violence. They are a barbaric people, violent to their enemies, feared amongst all the peoples. They ruled those peoples with fear and were spreading their kingdom. And so when God says, arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, what does Jonah do? He goes the opposite direction, just like a silly prophet, right? He goes the opposite direction, and he goes as far as he can. He wants to go as far as he can from the will of God and from the presence of God. Here's Nineveh. There's Tarshish. He goes down to Joppa. He gets on a boat. He goes, he's planning to go as far as he can from the will of God. He has, wants to have nothing to do with the presence of God, the will of God, or his mission. And so he gets on a boat headed that way. Problem is, God cast a storm, literally a wind upon the sea, a storm rises up. The storm is so great, even the men on the boat who are sailors are fearful and call out to their gods, right? Where's Jonah? Sleeping in this hole of the ship. He goes down, captain goes, hey, get up, pray to your God. Maybe he will have mercy on us and we will not perish. Jonah comes up, they cast lots. Oh, it is Jonah. 
Jonah goes, okay, by the way, I am a Hebrew, and I fear God, the God who is in heaven, the God who has made the sea and the dry land. And they're like, what? I know that's what you're thinking, too. I can see it on your faces. So, because they're like, he's the God of the sea and the dry land. We're in the ocean. We're in a storm. That might be our problem, right? You're running from God, and he has cast the storm upon us. What do we do? Jonah says, here's what you do. Cast me in the sea. They're like, oh, that's not a good idea. We don't want this God angry at us, you know, innocent blood on our hands. So we're just going to row harder. They row as hard as they can, but God makes the storm greater. They can't even get back to the land. Finally, the sailors themselves have to call out to Jonah's God and ask for mercy. Please, Lord, have mercy on us. Don't put his blood on our hands. And they followed the word of the Lord, and they cast him into the sea. As soon as they casted him into the sea, what happened? storm stopped. Calm waters, calm. And the men, the sailors, feared the Lord. Not the little G, but big G, Yahweh, the God of heaven, of the sea and the dry land, right? They made vows unto him and sacrificed unto him. And where's Jonah? So God had mercy, mercy, even in Jonah's running, on these sailors. His grace and his mercy poured out upon them. He relented, and they did not perish when they turned unto him. Where's Jonah? Jonah's in the water. He's sinking to the depths. In fact, it says, I went down to the gates of Sheol, which means I was sinking in the water unto death, literally at the gates of death, literally He's at the end of his breath. Breath. And what does he finally do? <laughs> In that moment, Jonah says, I turned and I called out to the Lord. And the Lord heard me in his holy temple. He called out to the Lord. And he brought me up from the pit. Literally, he saved my life. What does he do? He makes sacrifices unto the Lord. He says, I will sacrifice unto the Lord. I will fulfill my vow unto you. Before, because now he says, salvation belongs to God. Salvation belongs to God. God calls the big fish. Fish swallows Jonah. He's in the big fish for three days and three nights. And the fish vomits him out onto the dry land, right? And that's where we are, chapter 3. Caught up. All right. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. This is just grace and mercy, isn't it? When you hear the word second time, I hear grace. I'm a second timer. I'm thankful for second times. I'm thankful that God still restores and he appoints his mission to us the second time. I think it also shows God's faithfulness to fulfill his mission. He's consistent. He's not giving up on his mission. He's calling his prophet again to say, here we go again. Now, let's fulfill what we started. 
Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. That's important. Emphasis on the message that I'm going to tell you, right? Not his words, not Jonah's words, but I'm going to give you the word of the Lord to speak unto these peoples. So what did Jonah do? And you're kind of like holding your breath here if you've never read Jonah before. You're kind of going, is he going to run? Is he going to go to Nineveh? And it says he arose, and you're still holding your breath. And he went, whew, close one, you know, he's a runner. I don't know about you, if you're a runner, you know how when fear happens, you either run or you freeze or you fight. I don't know how you are or what you are. I'm a freezer. Like I I freeze in fright. I don't know about you guys. We learned that when we were overseas one time and they have mean dogs, mean dogs, (laughs) mean dogs. And so me, my wife, and we have our daughter right here She's little, she's tiny, and we have my son and my wife, and we're just kind of looking at this dog. You know, he's behind a fence, praise the Lord. He's a big dog, and I'm like, wow, that's a big dog, and all of a sudden, I don't know what caused him to do this, but he just reared up, charged at this fence, barking loudly, right? What am I doing? <laughs> like, that's me right there, you know? The funny thing is, my daughter's doing the same thing. We're both like... We're basically eating, you know, there's no fence. I, the funny thing is my wife and my son, they're 100 yards down the road, man. They're just, I was like, they just left us for dead, <laughs> you know? I was like, so I'm a freezer, they're runners. That's good to know in a fight, okay? I'm just gonna tell you, I'm dead, they're alive, we're good. All right, just, just side note. Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was exceedingly great city, or could read a great city to God, Three days' journey in breath, meaning that it was a large city. Nineveh was huge. Nineveh was one of the greatest cities in the world at the time, and one of the greatest nations in the world at the time, but again, one of the most violent nations in the world at the time, which kind of sets up this kind of picture where you have this little prophet taking the word of the Lord into a huge city filled with people who are violent and against him, because he's the enemy of Assyria, right? This is the setup. So here he comes. He goes, Jonah began to go into the city. He only went in a day's journey, three week, three days. He goes in a day's journey, and he calls out. Whew, this is the kind of sermon you want right here. 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Five words in the original, eight words in the English. That's a sermon right there. So again, we get the picture. Massive city, massive task, five words. It could be a summary, they say, but again, here's the message that I'm gonna tell you to say. Here's the message the Lord gives them. 40 days, judgment, right? 40 days, it rained upon the earth during the flood. 40 days, they had to wait before they could go in the promised land. 40 days is judgment, and then Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's a powerful word. It really has two meanings. Overthrown can mean complete destruction, such as in Sodom and Gomorrah, if you're familiar with that story. That was the destruction that God brought upon Sodom and Gomorrah, literally to the foundations. The other thing it can mean is overturned, such as in when Esther, it says, their hearts were overturned from sadness unto joy. But in the context, 
here, though that might be a hint of something to come as far as overturn, here the message is destruction. God was judging Nineveh and was planning to overthrow them. A warning unto the people, right? Because he's given them 40 days. Sodom and Gomorrah had no mourning. He came in, the city was destroyed. Here, God's grace and his mercy are seen in the 40 days, right? I'm bringing judgment, 40 days. I'm bringing destruction, 40 days. Almost as if to say, you have time. Little, but you do. The people, what's the response of the people? Oh, my goodness. The people of Nineveh believed God. Greater miracle. We get caught up in the fish sometimes, but the greater miracle in the story of Jonah is that the people of Nineveh, who are wicked and idolatrous and violent, believe the word of the Lord. Important, they didn't believe Jonah. They believed God. Also, you're going to see how the king responds. But I think it's also important that they give the people's response before the king's response because they're not even responding to the king. They're responding personally unto the word of the Lord. They respond with, Nineveh believed God. They took his word as truth. Truth. God is judging us, and he will destroy us. We will be overthrown. They took it as truth. And what's their response? They believed, they took his word at truth, and they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Literally, just symbols, outward expressions of mourning and grief. They were cut to the heart, grieving, grieving unto God, pouring out, just saying, this is my public expression of my grief and my mourning over sin. My evil ways have come before the Lord, and he now is judging us, and he will destroy us. Word, again, the word of the Lord reached the king of Nineveh, so the least to the greatest, the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Again, a ruler in one of the most Powerful nations in the world, violent and wicked and idolatrous. And this king gets off of his throne, takes off his robe as a symbol of not my authority, but your authority. He humbles himself and he too laments and grieves and the outward expressions of sackcloth and ashes. Then he issues a proclamation for the people by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let the man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them, and I love this, call out mightily or urgently unto God. And let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. This is a, a, a picture of repentance. Repentance, when you believe the word of God to be true, you respond first with grief and remorse, but that grief and remorse leads toward your turning 
turning unto God, cry out to him and away from your evil ways. Turning from evil and wickedness. And he says, your evil ways, the things that you have done, the immorality in your hearts, the things that you've done, and it's almost like it was corporate, the violence that you know has been in our hands that we've done. Turn away from those things and turn unto God and cry out to him. <laughs> Why? First time a Gentile ever says these words, who knows? Like, who knows, man? Maybe, like, possibly, hopefully, God will turn and relent. He will turn from his fierce anger so that we may not, what? Perish. Same thing the sailors did, right? So that we not perish. Same thing. Turning unto God so that we do not perish. The king knew. He knew what God was going to do. He knew the danger that they were in, and he called his people to turn unto God and away from their evil ways. God's response. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God relented. That should bring a breath to you, right? Just a sigh. He did not follow through. He relented from the disaster that he would said would come upon them. Is there any, is there any warrant for this? Why would God turn his anger when they turned from their evil ways and turned unto him? Jeremiah 18 helps us. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. Listen to what Jeremiah says. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. So if he's declared, I will destroy. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent. Whew. Hope. I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Who knows? The word of the Lord knows, right? This is what God has promised. Any nation that I have said disaster will come into it, if they will turn from their evil ways, I will relent from the disaster that I've said will come upon it. Oh. Just a moment. Before we go to chapter 4, I want you just to say this. If you're in this room right now and you have never turned from your evil ways and turned unto God, I want to just say a word from the Lord to you for just a moment because you are in that same place. That same place. There is a destruction coming upon you. Upon all of us. In fact, let me just read the words of the Lord from Romans. Can I do that? Here is what it says. All have sinned, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of them. Everyone in Nineveh, everyone in this room, everyone in all of the earth. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, the wages of sin is death. 
That's the wage of our sin against God. He established that from the very beginning in the garden. If you eat of this tree, Adam, you will surely die. That's the consequence of sin. Death, (laughs) destruction, right? Separation from God for eternity in a place called hell. Identified as a place of fire where there is torment and anguish and separation from God forever. You will die. Wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. Here's the promise, right? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Here's the good news. (laughs) Through Jesus Christ, God demonstrated, I'm just reading from the word of the Lord. As As the word said, he would relent. Hear the word of the Lord today. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, right? We were still in our sin, just like the Ninevites, right? Still walking in their day, still walking in their violence, still walking in their evil path. God demonstrated his love for us even in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in our place. That's the good news. (laughs) God has to punish sin. He shows mercy, but he's also a just God. Therefore, sin must be punished. And the consequence of sin is death. He sent his own son. He himself sent his son. And on his son, he laid our sins. And on those sins, he then punished his son in our place. His son died in our place. His son was forsaken so that we might not be forsaken. Like Jonah, three days in the fish, Jesus was three days in the earth, right? They buried him in the earth for three days, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. (laughs) He rose from the dead, declaring that sin and death had been defeated. Here's the truth. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. You shall live. You will be saved, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Ninevites believed God's word, right? Their hearts were quickened and they remorsed over their sin. They cried out unto God. They turned from their evil ways. They turned unto God. Can I just plead with you today? God has laid your sins upon his son. He has punished his son in your place. I would say believe the word of the Lord today and trust his word. Turn unto him and away from your evil ways that you might live and live eternally. Chapter four. After this great movement of the Lord, God saves, and I know my time is short. Here's what it is. Very quickly, all right? Very quickly. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and this is where we see the heart of our prophet exposed, Right? One of, our, uh, one of the Sinclair Ferguson said, our reaction is a thermostat, a better thermostat than sometimes our actions. 
right? Our reactions are sometimes a better thermostat than our actions are. His response and his reaction conveyed Jonah's heart before the Lord. He became displeased and exceedingly displeased. In fact, the word is he was exceedingly displeased at the evil in which he sees God doing. He's angry, burning with anger against God. And he prayed, oh, Lord, this, this is what I told you. When I was back there in my country, right, this is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. I knew you, Lord. I know your character, God. I knew that you are gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, take my life, <laughs> our senseless little prophet. Right? You got to remember, he's not the perfect prophet. He's revealing himself in his heart to us as God reveals himself to his prophet. God is revealing to his prophet. He says he knows him, but he hasn't truly experienced God's grace and mercy and abounding steadfast love and the way that he relents from disaster from his people. And God is going to, God is going to open his eyes to see God in a new way that's going to challenge, challenging his heart and exposing his heart before God. And so he cries out, Lord, it's better for me to die. And the Lord asks this question, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? And God asks a question. He wants to reveal the sin in our hearts, right? To Adam, after he had sinned against God, Adam, where are you? Adam's hiding. God knows where he is. He wanted to see his sin. Cain, where is your brother? He knows where his brother is. He killed his brother. Cain, where is your brother? His questions reveal the sin in our own hearts. God is trying to, in a gracious way, bring Jonah's heart in line with his heart. He's trying to bring his heart in line. Do you have a right, Jonah, to be angry with me? Jonah went out of the city and sat in the east of the city. East is never a good direction. Made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. He made, this is a little object lesson for Jonah. He made the plant rise up, right? Come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So here's God in his grace and mercy again, showing his steadfast love to his prophet. He appoints this plant to come up. It covers him. It shades him. It's even saving him from his discomfort, or we would say evil. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. The first time our, our prophet is happy is because of a plant. <laughs> that should bring some kind of going, what? Right? Whole peoples have repented and turned to God and have been saved from destruction. Sailors have been saved, but you're going to be exceedingly glad over a plant. But when dawn came up the next day, what does God do? He appointed the plant. He appoints a worm. It attacks the plant. It withers. When the sun rose, God appointed the scorching heat and an east wind, which is called a Scirocco, by the way. I don't know if you know that. There was a car once, a Volkswagen named a Scirocco. I really liked it. Um, Scirocco. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, that he might die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said, 
do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for you, which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. Should not I, Jonah, pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Jonah, <laughs> your heart is angry and bitter. You are more glad for a plant that literally rises up and then dies, right? What is God revealing in the heart of Jonah? God, Jonah wanted God's grace and mercy. He loved God's grace and mercy and steadfast love when it, when it applied to him or Israel, right? But when God then takes his love and steadfast love and puts it on to the people of Nineveh, his heart becomes angry at God, exposing in his heart maybe a prejudice against peoples. This, this is your love for your people, not for the Ninevites, God. They don't deserve this love. They're not in your people. This is outside of your people. And then maybe exposing his heart with a plant to say, you long for your comfort more than you do for my will and my mission. You long for your comfort. When my grace and my mercy and my steadfast love brings you comfort, then you're exceedingly joyful. Your heart longs for the things that perish more than the imperishable, the people's. So he's exposing his heart, right? The way the book of Jonah ends, it leaves it wide open. <laughs> we, don't, we don't even get to see how Jonah responds. The last words are the words of the Lord. It's almost as if the author wanted it to sit, not only with Jonah, but maybe with Israel and with us. Because I think, I think what God was doing in Jonah was he was trying to get Jonah to see, right? To see him and to see, it literally expand his understanding of his great love. That God's love extended further, right? His love extended to the sailors. His love extended to Jonah and the depths. His love extended to him when he was running away from God. His love extended to Nineveh even to Nineveh. He was extending his understanding of God's great love and his purposes and his mission. This is the question for us, I think, today. <laughs> God is revealing his great love. God is gracious, and God is merciful. God is slow to anger. His love is steadfast. And he does relent from disaster. <laughs> it's almost like this is our great God. And he's done this in and through his son, Jesus, who took, again, our punishment upon himself so that we might be declared righteous in his sight, laying our sin upon him and his righteousness upon us.
The challenge for us is, kind of like Jonah, when we see God, it begins to work in us. It exposes our prejudices. It exposes our comforts. God, God's revealing to us even our hearts. He's revealing our hearts. So the question today is, if this is God's heart for God's people, is your heart the same as God's heart? Do you reflect the heart of God in your heart? Do you, are you gracious and merciful? Do you exhibit the steadfast love of the Lord? Do you, are you loving all peoples and extending and carrying forth the word of God? Or are there things that hold you back? Are there certain peoples that you hold on to? All but that one. Or all but those. I'll go anywhere but not there. I'll give up anything but not that. God's word exposes our own heart when we see the extent of his great love. So the question for us today is, where is your heart? Is it in line with God's heart, or are you holding on? Are you in line with his mission, or are you saying, no? I'm holding on to my comforts, or my prejudices, or my, my, or my, instead of saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It is right for you to pity them. Because your heart is gracious and merciful and your love is steadfast and you relent from disaster. Oh, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, oh. I pray right now for your peoples, Lord. Right now, Lord, as they heard your word and you have, Lord, shown yourself to be gracious and merciful, to be steadfast in your great love. Lord, I pray that even as they right now are sitting, that, Lord, and you're, you have called us. God, we are called unto you <laughs> to display your love and, Lord, to accomplish your purposes and to fulfill your mission. You have told us, go, therefore, and make disciples. You have said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You, are, you have called us. And there are peoples right now who do not know their right hand from their left <laughs> that are under your judgment and will perish forever and ever and ever. And so, Lord, is there in our hearts, Lord, what keeps us today from saying, yes, Lord, I will be a part of your mission? Maybe for someone today, it's the second chance. Say, I know you're calling me, Lord. And today I say, yes, I will go. Maybe today you're holding on. Maybe someone's holding on to something, <laughs> a comfort or even a prejudice. And the Lord is saying, my love is greater than. And so he says, come to me, right? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, follow me. Lord, I pray today that there will be hearts in this room who will say, yes, Lord.
And Lord, if there is someone here today who has never come to you, then Lord, may they turn from their evil ways and may they turn unto you, believing in your word, in your truth. I pray this in your name and for your namesake, Lord Jesus.